Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is June 17th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and we have Ryan Warks on the podcast. Ryan is the founder of Warks Capital. Ryan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to get to it. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets. We will talk about the importance of risk management, and then we will end the episode with three current stocks. Okay, so let's get in the current market. The market is an uptrend. It has been one of the strongest markets that I think I've ever seen. Uh, only two distribution days on the NASDAQ and S&P 500, so uh, pretty good on that. that front. We took a big hit last Thursday, but it seems like these markets are just very resilient, and, and it seems like uh, we just come back very quickly. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, really, to back up what you said, this is probably the strongest rally off of a low we've ever had. In mm -hmm. fact, um, going back to the 1950s, we studied the S&P and the rallies uh, off major lows, uh, and this is the largest rally ever off a major low. Oh, wow. NASDAQ's rallied 42% since the March lows. Um, historically, we are getting a little long in the tooth. That's one thing we do watch. Uh, we, we watch a lot of statistical analysis. We follow it. We do a lot in-house. We read a lot of other people. In fact, one of the guys that I, I enjoy <clears throat> reading and uh, I watch is Ryan Dietrich, and, and he pulls in a lot of data on this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing that he had mentioned that the initial rally off of a major low lasts around 30 days. We are in day 60. So this is getting a little long in the tooth. Um, it's also, again, the largest rally ever off of a major low. Um, so we actually think that we are in the beginning of a bull market, not the end. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really interesting about this market is if you turn on the TV or all talking heads, everyone says it's overdone, too far, too fast. Um, it's getting uh, exuberant, euphoric even. But the data actually doesn't back that up. Of course, you can find anecdotal data, anecdotal data, anecdotal data that basically will will tell you yes, there are some extremes in the market. the The put call ratio um, is down to historic lows. Um, the call buying versus put buying from retail investors is twice as aggressive now as it was at the February peak before oh. the collapse. Yeah. Um, and, and all the talking heads talking about Robinhood traders. But if you look at that, that, the retail environment is a very small fraction of the overall volume in the market. So okay. we prefer to focus on institutions. And I know that's what you guys like to focus on. Right. And they leave the volume footprint. And just recently, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, released their monthly fund manager survey, which we like to use as part of our data set and uh, some of the indicators that we follow and we find that their sentiment indicators are, are, are very useful and what's fascinating about this market is that we've just rallied the largest rally ever off of a major low and only 18% of fund managers who are supposed to be the smart money expect a v-shaped recovery yet the NASDAQ is sitting at new highs yeah the S&P is within spitting distance of a new high 64% of these same fund managers expect a U or W shaped, 
and only 30% say it's a new bull market, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. 53% still say it's a bull market rally. Now, you, and let me interrupt you for, for one second there, because that, that, that brings up a great point. I feel like it's almost deja vu because we had a essentially a V-shaped rally at the beginning of 2019 too. And a lot of very fun, uh, very smart fund managers were kind of saying the same thing with the V-shaped rally. Everyone's expecting a retest at the bottom. Now we've had even a little bit more, more extreme uh, kind of rally this time around. Uh, so yeah, so keep going. But it, it, it really is pretty amazing at how a lot of uh, smart people have been fooled by this uh, V-shaped recovery. And I think it's going to continue to fool people. Listen, if you had asked me uh, at the end of March, if I thought the NASDAQ would be at new highs two and a half months later, I probably would have put the probability at 5%. Right. Um, but, I, you know, the market doesn't care about my opinions. So I have to trade that the market that I'm presented. I could sit here and bitch and moan about all the reasons why it shouldn't be here or all the um, potential pitfalls and problems that may be associated with all the spending we're doing. But, you know, I'm not paid for my opinions. I'm, a paid, to, I'm, paid, to, I'm paid to make money. Yeah. Um, so, again, we have to trade the market we are presented. And again, if we go back and look at the data, the data suggests that we are potentially the beginning of a bull market, not at the end. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that was missing for me, uh, and quite frankly, I, you know, listen, I didn't get it right. I wasn't buying the exact bottom, um, but I did miss the whole down move. So I was a little bit patient getting back in. I needed to see some some clues that this was more uh, of a potentially successful rally than just a bear market rally. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I really didn't get those until probably later March, even earlier May, um, when a lot of leadership started to exert itself. The beginning of this rally was very narrow. Very few growth stocks, quite frankly, were breaking out at the beginning yeah. of the follow through day. Yep. I would say it wasn't really until probably April 13th when Amazon and Netflix both broke out in tandem, which are two major market leaders. Yes. That kind of kicked off the wave of growth. And then I'd even say probably later than that, when earnings started rolling around, sometime early May, you had breath just explode in leadership. You, you had, you know, prior to that, maybe a handful of growth leaders that were working. And I would say since early May, you, you have a hundred growth type of leadership stocks that you could take a pick from. Yeah. Um, and again, this, this, is, this is showing up in our data. I mean, the expansion of three months highs on the S&P is exploding and hit one of the largest readings ever. Um, this only happens at the beginning of bulls. So this is characteristic of bull markets coming uh, out of 74, 82, and 09. The same readings we're getting now were the same readings back then. Wow, that's really interesting. It feels, yeah, it feels like a very, the beginning of a bull market. A lot of stocks, they just refuse to go down. They just keep crawling up and and really don't give a lot of people a chance to get into them. I I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier about getting long in the tooth on average, a rally off the bottom. So around 30 days, this has been 60 days. 
Um, what happens usually just on an average from those 30 days after those 30 days, what generally happens after that? Is it just an intermediate pullback, just a rest for a couple of months? So that's a great question. It's really interesting. Um, so the average pullback after the initial thrust, the initial rally off the lows, mm -hmm. the, the average pullback is around 10.3%. Okay. Yeah. This is according to Ryan Dietrich, who I follow. Yeah. Now, Eric Kroll is another guy, fund manager I talked to, who does a lot of uh, data analysis too, and we compare a lot of notes. And, and he did some work on the NASDAQ going back to 1980, and he was saying approximately 80% of the rallies end in 50 days or less. Again, we're at day 60 now. Right. So we're getting long in the tooth. But what's interesting about this is the market just corrected last Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what corrections are, it seems like, these days. It's just like oh, a one-day <laughs> bloodbath, and then it's back to the new highs. Albeit, it was literally one day. But from peak to trough, it was probably a two-, three-day event. Mm -hmm. Now, the S&P corrected 8.3%, the NASDAQ 6.8%, and the Russell 2000 13.1%, all within the normal averages of the average pullback. So... You know, this had us thinking, was the, did we get the pullback? Again, <laughs> shocking that it was only a day. Yeah. But when we go back and look at prior bull markets, I even did a blog on this uh, back in April where I went and compared the current environment to every bull market since the 50s. Um, we found in my firm that the, the, the most reliable precedent based on a host of different factors, and you can go and read the blog, and it backs it up, was the 1998 precedent. Okay. Where the market had this sharp sell-off, V-bottom, and was right back to new highs. Yeah. And what we found was, essentially, the NASDAQ followed the 20-day moving average all the way up. And what are we doing now? Yeah. We're following the 20-day moving average all the way up. Every pullback has been limited. It's been short in nature, and it's been very... Uh, it has not been deep at all. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that th those are hallmarks of a strong bull market. And that's what we believe we're in. Perfect. So Ryan, how did you get into this? You know, walk us through uh, how, how you got into investing, you know, what inspired you uh, to, to really take uh, and move towards uh, this path? Sure. So uh, I'll try and keep it short. Um, I was a finance major in college. I went to Virginia Tech. Um, I, I always had an interest and kind of a passion for the stock market. I remember growing up, my, my grandfather had a little black book where he wrote all of his uh, stock buys and sells in. And we'd sit there, whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, going through it. And it cool. just fascinated me. Yeah. In fact, you know, as a 12-year-old, for my birthday, I asked for a share of stock in Walt Disney. Um, I don't know many 12-year-olds that do that. No. Um, but do you still have that share? I do. I have it framed in my uh, office at my home. Uh, and I, I keep it as a, you know, a piece of pride. And um, I, still, I still own Disney to this day. It's beautiful. Um, far cry from what I do as a fund manager, but it's still neat to look back and think at, you know, 12 years old, I, I, was, I, was, I had an interest in this. So coming out of college, again, not many people know what they want to do. I ended up going and working for my family business, which is the electrical subcontracting business. It was my father, my brother, um, went to work for them. 
quickly realized it's not what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and my dad basically said, you know what, go do your thing, find your passion. We fully support you. Um, one of my other brothers was working as a financial advisor and kind of introduced me to a couple people locally in the DC area. I ended up getting hired by a boutique broker manager, uh, broker dealer in the area. Uh, there was two, um, brokers one was an institutional one was a retail manager that were just making gobs and gobs of money in in the late 90s mm-hmm. uh, this was during the really the end of the bull market uh 99 going into 2000 and right. they they needed someone just to basically help them with uh, handling their clients and i really i pestered them for for months and finally i think they just gave me a job just to stop calling them and annoying them <laughs> um so I got hired in the fall of 99. I ended up getting licensed, Series 7 and all that. Um, so at this point, I was living at home. I was making, I think, $25,000 at the time. This was, again, in the fall of 99. I was, I was saving as much money as I could. And I remember opening up a trading account at, I even went back and looked at my notes. It was called SureTrade. Um, oh, wow. I opened up the account in May of 2000, which this was after the, the NASDAQ had peaked in March. Perfect timing. Um, I had opened it up with $500 again, which was at that time, all the money that I had had and saved up. Yeah. Um, I continued adding it as I was getting paychecks. So my strategy back then was just to buy whatever my bosses told me. You know, These guys were successful. I thought they were smart. And why shouldn't I listen to them? So I, I was just basically buying 50 shares, 100 shares of whatever they told me. And I started making money. And I, you know, of course, thought this was easy. So at this time, I think I had about $4,000 in my trading account. And I had put, I think, 60% of my account into Nortel Networks. And Shortly after I bought Nortel Networks, they released earnings. The stock gapped down like 40%. Oh, my God. And I had just had, I felt like I had lost everything I had earned. Um, it was at that point I realized that I have to get educated. Um, and I have to take things into my own hands. And I can't make money or, or trade my account. Um, listening to others uh, and taking advice. So the firm that I worked for, they had a Bloomberg terminal, Wall Street Journal, the other magazine that they got, or a newspaper that they got at the time was Investor Business Daily. So I just started picking it up and reading it. And right off the bat, it like just, somehow it just read to me almost. Um, I got it, it made sense and Basically, I went on a fact-finding mission for the next two to three years, getting educated, figuring out that I don't ever want to have losses like this again and how to prevent them. And I think that's the beauty uh, and the simplicity of Investor Business Daily and their system is they will get you out of every major market collapse. And since then, I've missed every major market move. Um, and you know, I, I, I will say I, I have to 
give Bill O'Neill and the guys at Investor Business Daily a lot of credit because without them, I'd probably be in a different place right now. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. I've, and we spoke about this a while back, but I have the same experience. It, it's once you learn how to manage your risk and learn when to stay out of the markets when they get in trouble, you're in a whole nother place. You, you have a chance to, to really build your account and, and, and really profit in those uptrends. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the hallmark of what I do, I prefer to say that I'm a risk manager first and making money second. But I, I feel like the easiest way to compound your gains is by not losing money first. Yes. So a lot of people don't understand the math behind it. Again, if you lose 50% of your capital, you have to make 100% just to get back to break even. Exactly. And, and Ryan, let, let me hold, hold you there for one second. Let's take a quick break. Uh, the, the, mar the market's in an uptrend, and as both Ryan and I have said, <laughs> this is one of the strongest markets we have ever seen. So you want to make sure you continue to learn and, and try to figure a way to get into some of these stocks when they set up. But let's take that break. But when we return, we're going to continue this conversation. We are going to talk about risk management and how important it is. So stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's gonna show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Ryan Worsch is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Ryan, let's continue the conversation. And now let's get into risk management because, as we both know, that is the most important step that you need to get down first before you really get into investing or especially investing in growth stocks. Yeah, correct. And, you know, as I was saying, the, the reason I made such an effort to, to find um, a strategy for myself that relied on not losing as much money is because I went through this painful period, albeit it, it was, it was a small amount of money, but it was all the money I had at the time. Right. So I, I, I never forgot that feeling of what it was like to lose so much money so quickly. So again, I start everything from a risk management, um, starting point. Every trade that I put on, I have a stop loss associated with it. I have every day I go through my long book or short book, wherever I am, 
I know exactly how much I am going to lose in my whole portfolio if everything is stopped out. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I focus the majority of my time on executing my plan. Um, I think that's, that's really critical here. A lot, a lot of people that, that attempt to do this, whether they do it on their own or some even professionally, I feel like they're always jumping around to the next greatest thing. You know, whether it's trading penny stocks or the fang stocks or uh, the bankrupt stocks uh, currently. Right, yeah, yeah, like junk off the bottom airlines and all that stuff, right? People I feel like are always trying to chase whatever's working. Well, you know, I know my strategy and I know it goes through ebbs and flows. There are clearly times when it works extremely well and outperforms. Now is one of those times. There's also times on the downside where it outperforms again. I got out of the market late February. I missed, actually probably early February, and I missed the whole move down. In fact, we were even up in March because we took some timely shorts. Um, you know, but if you go back, I started my, my fund in October of 2008. Again, my, my timing seems to be impeccable. I started <laughs> my, my personal trading account in May of 2000, and I started my hedge fund in October of 2008. Yeah, it ended up being kind of a blessing in disguise, even though the fourth quarter of 08 was the worst quarter in the S&P, I think, in the history of the S&P. Uh, it was a terrible time to start a hedge fund. But the beautiful thing about corrections is they create opportunities. So coming out of corrections, while they are hard to go through, and especially secular bear markets that last long, like the 2000 to 2003, that was two and a half years of a grinding market lower. 2007 to 2009 was a grinding market lower. Um, You know, but because I highlight and make such a point of uh, worrying about not losing money, it has saved me so much. I don't have to make as much money on the upside now because I, I don't lose as much money on the downside. Again, my, my largest peak to trough in my fund is 15%, yet compare that to the general market, it's 50%. Um, so if, you're, you know, if your biggest loss is 15%, you don't have to make nearly as much money to get back to break even. It, it, if you're down 50%. So that, that's the name of the game right there. I, I mean, in, in the end, that that's it. You always have to stay within striking distance yes. of your equity highs, or uh, you're going to be spending a lot of time wasting that next great bull market, just trying to recover your losses. Yeah. D- digging out of the hole. Exactly. And again, when I go back and look at all of the analysis on my fund, you know, I, th- I think, Part of why I've been so successful is one, this isn't easy by any means. You have to really work your ass off. You have to prepare. You know, this isn't something that I do as a hobby. This is something I do as a business and a job. So I take it very seriously. So I spend long hours going through tremendous amount of data, statistical analysis, I analyze my own trading, I analyze my own trades, I analyze the market, I analyze the leaders, I analyze the losers. Um, this all goes into you know, a thesis that, that I create that gives me a direction on the market. So it's not me just sitting here saying, oh, the market's in an uptrend, I want to be long, the market's a downtrend, I want to be short. 
there's data that I have to back up this market is in an uptrend. Why is it an uptrend and what is it showing us? Just like mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier. I mean, the, the data that I look at is really telling me that we are at the beginning of this bull market, not at the end. Now, listen, I don't know if I'm right. And that's the beauty of, of being a, a fund manager is, is we are very flexible and can change our minds at a moment's notice. Yeah. I, I may love the market today. I may hate it tomorrow depending on, you know, what changes. And I, I think that's, that's something that, you, you know, I think the one thing that's constant in the market is change. It's always changing. And I think that's what's fascinating about what I do and what people in this business do is that we're trying to figure out a puzzle that is constantly evolving. Yes. Just when you think you have the puzzle pieces figured out, the puzzle pieces change. So yeah, and just think about, uh, just think about even like 15 years ago, where markets, uh, just doing the market analysis, you might have like five, five distribution days, six distribution days, and you were, it, it was a pretty good odds that you were going to corrections. A lot of great stocks were starting to fall apart. These days, you know, it's a lot more resilient, or things, you see more V-shaped recoveries. Things just move a lot quicker and there's just a different feel to the market than even just 15 years ago. So, I mean, the, the, the saying adapt or die couldn't be, you know, yes. more appropriate for that because it, and it's not that I I'm changing my strategy constantly. I'm just evolving to the markets. And, and, and that's a good point because when I got into this business, the guys that I worked for were very smart. Very, they, they were more, they were CPAs by training, so they had a fundamental uh, bent more towards the value side, traded mm -hmm. micro and small caps. But this was before uh, Reg FD, and they were visiting companies, calling companies. And this is when you could actually get information when you called a CEO. Um, right. That game changed after the, the tech bust in 2000. New regulations came in, and you couldn't do that anymore. Yep. So you, you had to adapt your strategy based on that. Um, the Coming out of 2009, we had this whole thing called quantitative easing. And like you said, these, we've, we've had really five significant sell-offs since probably 08. Um, none of them have been lasting. I would say probably the longest one was 2011. Yeah, that was pretty uh, tough. Yeah, that was tough. Um, but we've kind of had the backstop of the Fed and that's probably why we've had much more shallower and shorter corrections than previously. Yeah, but it's also amazing. And I, and I'll, I tell this to people who are newer to this, uh, the, that buy and hold you, uh, and, and just holding on to your losses right now, those habits are being reinforced. You know, when that market shifts again, and maybe when the Fed's not there to provide that floor, who knows how long that will be. But uh, there are going to be a lot of people who have developed a lot of bad habits by not respecting risk management, by riding markets down from February, down 50%. Now they're all the way back up. Now, look, I'm, I'm back up on my accounts now. Uh, they're going to find themselves in, in real, real trouble. Yeah, and I, I think there's obviously clearly a battle going on between passive and active, right? Yeah. And, and the passive crowd is winning. They're banging the drum a little bit louder. They're marketing to everybody. They're saying, 
you don't ever need to sell. See, I told you so. Yes. You know, if you had panicked at the lows, you would have missed this awesome rally. Um, but I'm sure you know just as well as I, these things also go in cycles. Um, yep. And when, you, like you said, the Fed is not there, the next bear market could be a two, two and a half year bear market. We don't know. I have no idea. You know, again, uh, part of our strategy, there, there's a timing mechanism to it, right? You know, we try and get in and get out. We try and ride the lion's share of the trend. You know, but, you know, nobody can consistently time the market perfectly. Yeah. You can't. It's impossible. But the market leaves little clues. And if you listen to the message of the market, you can adjust your exposure levels accordingly. And I strongly believe there's times where you don't need to be in the market 100% of the time. Um, so I, I, while I'm talking my own book, I, I truly believe in active, but I also have the numbers to back it up. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think there's always a time and place for, for active managers. Like, yeah, listen, at, at the, the lows in March where the SP was down 25% at the lows for the month, you know, my investors were, were tickled pink that we were, we were slightly up, right. um, you know, and, and it's funny because I started getting calls from everybody asking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And for people that are just in these passive, you know, asset allocation, I, I really can't tell them much. They, they really kind of have to ride it out. So yeah. you have to plan, you have to plan prior to the sell-off, not after the sell-off. Exactly. That is the major part of risk management is having a plan and being able to execute the plan. Now there's a lot of people that have plans and they fail to execute it. Yes. It's like they stare at a, it's like staring at a deer in headlights. You know, their, their counts down 5%. They're like, Oh, it's going to come back. That's down 10%. Most corrections stop at 10%. Well, then you're down 20% and they start going, Oh God. Well, now you're down 30%. They're going, get me out. Yep. Um, and historically, we know most people panic at the bottom yep. and that's when they capitulate and that's when they get out and that's when the opportunities are the best. So talk about uh, this concept because when, when you, the mark was coming back up and, and you're waiting, you, you weren't in a rush. You waited for some more signals to come, more leaders to set up. Talk about the concept of waiting for the fat pitch because that is another really key concept that traders and investors need to get down if you're following this system especially, but being really disciplined and waiting for those setups to emerge before putting your hard-earned money to work. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Ted Williams said it best, you know, one of the best hitters of all time, you know, they asked him how he's so successful at hitting. He says, I wait for a good pitch to hit, you know, very simple, but Ted Williams was actually way ahead of his day in his analysis of the swing, yeah. when to swing and when not to swing. And that's exactly what I feel like I try and do. I, I take a tremendous amount of statistical data and analysis, and I put it in and I try and shape a message and a thesis on how I want to position my portfolio. Now, I miss the whole down move. Again, I did not lose a dime from the market peak. In fact, my equity curve went up. But I actually lost money in April. You know, how could that be? April had this strong rally. Well, I was being patient. I was waiting. And even though the market had a follow through in early April, I started tiptoeing back in in mid-April. 
and I kind of got chopped up because I was kind of chasing it a little bit higher. So I was tiptoeing my way in because I didn't necessarily feel the rush to get in because yeah. I didn't see the evidence yet if this was just a bear market rally or the beginning of a bull market. And since I was sitting on gains for the year, I didn't feel the need to rush it. Um, I, I had the ability to wait for that fat pitch. Now, I got that late April, early May, when you saw an explosion in growth stocks gapping up, whether it was on earnings or coming out of sound bases on volume. Again, I, I, I tend to think that for really growth, it started April 13th with Amazon and Netflix. Mm -hmm. And then going into early April, once you had earnings, you had a, a handful of, of really good growth stocks breaking out of long bases on massive volume. Yeah. And, and I almost feel like it was the kindest earnings season that I've ever seen. They, they treated everyone, every stock, at least for the stocks I own, uh, they all went up, which is never happens, usually the opposite way. And not only did they go up, they went up 10, 20, some right. 40% in one day on the biggest volume in the history of their trading. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's telling you something. It's you know, back to the old Bill O'Neill saying, that's not, you know, your Aunt <laughs> Susan buying, right? right. Uh, there, there was some real institutional money coming into this market and, and buying, buying growth stocks. And, and that goes back to, you know, the data we look at. If, if you look at the fund manager survey, they had massive amounts of cash in April. Um, they were putting that to work in late April and early May. Yeah. And they still have a decent amount of cash sitting on the sidelines, which shows you there, there's still potential for this market to even go higher because there's cash on the sidelines. The sentiment indicators aren't even remotely bearish. That's, that's what's fascinating again about this market. After we've had this 40 plus percent rally off the bottom, the largest rally ever off of a, a bear market, you can't really find a lot of bearish sentiment, whether you just go through um, fund flow data or uh, AAII, fund manager cash uh, balances. Uh, the, the Bank of America private client sentiment indicator is actually bearish. This wow. is after we've had this big move. Yeah. Fund flows into bonds dwarf that of stocks. How could that be after we've just had one of the most historic rallies of lows? It's because people don't believe it. People are still positioned and still scared and they hold cash. So maybe there is some more upside when that cash is put to work. Again, I have no idea where the market's gonna go from here, but there is some evidence that suggests we could go higher from here. Perfect. So risk management is everything. And if you use it properly, it will set you up for the next great market if you're patient. Coming up next, we are going to discuss a few ideas. Stay tuned. MarketSmith will give you a huge edge in the stock market. Better stocks, bigger profits. MarketSmith is the top research platform for IBD. It's just the best tool for individual stock selection. Everything within MarketSmith is designed to bring those best stocks to the surface. It does a lot of the work for you of filtering down to the potential leaders. It's when you take the training wheels off and you're ready to invest on a more professional level. MarketSmith will help you take control of your investment life. If you want to get serious about investing, start your membership today.
We are back with Ryan Warch on investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Ryan, let's get into a few stock ideas here. And the first stock we are going to talk about is CrowdStrike. And the ticker symbol for this is CRWD. So uh, what, what do you find interesting about this stock right now? So part of uh, my strategy and the way that I look at the market, again, I come from a fundamental background. That's where I started at my yeah. own firm. And, and I really never forgot those roots. Um, so what I try and do, and I try to establish themes, and then I look within those themes and see where are the leaders within those themes. Clearly the biggest theme coming out of the coronavirus is the work from home, the e-commerce, the, the explosion in online everything. Right. Um, now, now what is, if everybody is working from home or working online more, what, what's going to be one of the most important things? And that's probably security. Yes. And CrowdStrike's one of those stocks, they're taking a cloud-based approach to security and replacing all these outdated, ineffective antivirus solutions. Um, on top of it, they have beaten Rays, I think, almost every quarter since they have been uh, public. It's a new issue. It's only been public for about you know, roughly two years. They're growing revenues at an 80% clip on a quarterly basis. That's fascinating for a stock you know, this size market cap. Um, if you look at it on a weekly chart, it had a huge cup-shaped cup base since its IPO. Yep. Massive accumulation within the base, uh, which is a hallmark of funds buying as the, the stock is correcting. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you had a breakout on earnings um, the last two weeks on a huge accumulation. Uh, this is a stock that I want to be long again. I don't, I don't know if you want to chase anything here. Um, and, and this is not any advice to, or solicitation to buy or sell any <laughs> stocks and full disclosure, I do own this and I do own some of the stocks we'll be discussing. Um, but I think this is one that looks very promising for the future and kind of along the lines of the theme that we're in, I think they're only going to get stronger and they're going to be needed just as much as anything else as we, we come out of this because I, I don't think we're going back to the way things were prior to it. Probably not. Yeah. With no. the behaviors like you're mentioning. Certain behaviors are going to change for good. And again, like I said earlier, the, the one thing that's constant is change. But mm -hmm. we, we're living through this technological revolution now. It, it, it's such an exciting time to be a growth investor because we're going through something that was eventually going to happen. Yeah. But what's happened is the coronavirus has expedited this that may have taken three years to two months. And there's going to be certain winners and there's certainly going to be losers. And what we're trying to do is identify those winners that are going to be successful for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months if this bull market continues. Yeah, perfect. Now, I, I do own shares of CrowdStrike too. It, the, 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 the relative strength for this stock over the last few months is dramatic and a lot of accumulation. So that ticker symbol is CRWD, definitely worth adding to your watch list and, and see if it sets up uh, maybe even just a little bit more traditional base as it 
just went into new highs, but now is uh, a little bit underneath it, 4.9% below the 52-week uh, highs right there. So let's go to the second stock. And that is Fastly. And, and this, is, this is one that I own um, also. And it is a really interesting story that I don't know if a lot of people are aware of. Ryan, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about this one? Yeah, I mean, Fast is another one of these new issues came public um, May of 2019. Um, but this is another one that's going to be a winner in, in everything going online. And Fastly is a leading edge cloud platform. So what is that? Uh, and I kind of, in, in for research for this podcast, I went through and I read, I read conference calls and I, I do do some, some, some fundamental research of reading research work, but I thought this was just such a good quote from the CEO. I wanted to read it directly from them. This is from okay. their, their conference call uh, from the earnings report uh, in, in early May. It says the momentum from 2019 continued through the first quarter and was further bolstered in late March by increased traffic on our platform from social distancing and orders implemented across the world. The unprecedented times highlighted the importance of digital transformation now more than ever and our innovation, innovative and resilient customer base enabled us to remain confident in demand for our mission critical services and accelerated growth of our business. So there's clearly, again, going to be some winners and losers. And this is one of them. I think it's going to be a clear winner as what, what that allows them to do is their customers to relieve their data uh, faster. And who, who doesn't want that when there's more people, you know, working remotely, yep. um, businesses working remotely. Um, on, on top of it, they're growing revenues 30% or more last four quarters. It has a, from a, from a basing structure, it has a nice long, yeah, I don't know if you want to call it a cup, a double bottom, but it basically consolidated essentially from yeah. its IPO in May of last year and then just exploded on uh, volume and price um, when they released earnings, uh, I think it was May 7th. Yeah, so 620% volume above average on that earnings report. Uh, that, and once again, that was not Aunt Sally that was buying no. stock at that point. No, it has a 2.2 up-down volume ratio. It was yeah. the biggest volume in the history of the stock. So that's telling you institutions are getting long this. And, and even, even with such a massive gap up, you were able to buy this. Yeah. You, know, you could have bought this stock on the gap up. It's gone from 30 to 60 in the last you know, month and a half. Um, so, you know, you can't be afraid of chasing some of these, these things as they're breaking out, even if you think they've gone too far, because what we've also noticed, and we've gone back and analyzed the data, when stocks break out of earnings surprises, they tend to drift higher over time. Mm -hmm. And we want to be involved in them as they're moving up. And this is a, another example that we think is going to be a winner again. I don't recommend chasing it here because it has run very far, very fast. But this is one you probably want to keep on your watch list over the next, you know, 12 months. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of times when we look for to buy out of bases uh, of, of stocks that have settled down, one of the first requirements you look for is a strong prior uptrend. And if you look on a weekly chart for this stock, I, you don't really get much, much stronger of prior uptrend than this one. It is straight up and it's been straight up for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and listen, IPOs are, 
historically a little bit more risky. For sure. Um, but that's where a lot of the new merchandise is, and a lot of the exciting companies, the growth companies, um, th th that's where they're coming from. They're these newer companies that have just become public that have these massive growth rates that we all love. Uh, and so you can't be afraid to, to dip your, your toes in the water on, on something that hasn't traded as long as, you know, you know, a Tesla or an Amazon. Exactly. Yep. So do, yeah, you always want to try to stay on that cutting edge of some of these newer companies that are coming out, read about their products, learn about what, why that, that what makes them, you know, successful. I, I think one of the big things with, with this, uh, with Fastly is, uh, their CEO has been pushing uh, for SSD hard drives in all of their servers that they're, they're using for years. So he was way ahead of the game instead yeah. of using the traditional kind of yep. slower kind of servers. And that's what gave them kind of the made it uh, differentiate versus a lot of other services out there, which has enabled them to provide a lot faster services than a lot of their other competitors. And, and that, that has a lot of parallels to what we talked about earlier about preparing yes these companies that are being they just didn't come up with these ideas they've been preparing for this what has happened is th this this pandemic has expedited it and the people that were prepared and the companies that are going to adapt the fastest are going to be the biggest winners and it's it, it, it so many parallels to trading it's unbelievable again you have to be prepared prior to the meltdown not after the meltdown Perfect. So let's go to one more stock here. And this is one that most will be familiar with. It's PayPal, ticker symbol PYPL. And uh, what do you like about uh, this stock right now and this company? So, so PayPal is another one I want to highlight. Clearly, it's in a, in a strong uptrend. Um, it's a little bit slower growth than the prior two. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's growing earnings year over year, a 20% clip. Um, from a basing structure, it's had a really nice long base that it's just coming out of. Yes. Um, and what's fascinating about PayPal, again, back to my back to my fundamental roots, on their conference call, their CEO said they had April was their best month since their IPO. Oh, that's wow. fast. That's fascinating. And he basically alluded to that the U.S. is at a tipping point in e-commerce and digital payments will only increase from here. And I don't know if you're seeing the same things that I'm seeing, but we are slowly working our way off of a, a cash-based society. I don't think we're ever going to yeah. get rid of cash, but more and more people are going to online payments, at, whether it's PayPal. PayPal uh, owns Venmo. Yep. I know for me, which... I never liked using that stuff. I've almost been forced to get on it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think every single one of our babysitters only accepts Venmo. Um, <laughs> so my, my wife is really the one who spearheaded this. And, you know, that goes back to like the Peter Lynch model of, you know, look at the things around you, talk to people, talk, you know, I talk to my kids, I talk to my wife, ask them what's exciting, what are they using? And, you know, I never even heard of Venmo prior to them telling me that. And again, once I did my research, I, I realized um, how powerful this could be. And PayPal, I think, is going to be one of the winners coming out of this. Um, and the, the price and volume action is really confirming that. Yeah. And, and talk about price and volume, it, it reported earnings. 
and it had a massive jump uh, as a result on the reaction right there. And let's see, it was uh, yeah, two hundred percent above. Yeah, look it, at look, it traded over thirty million shares. I mean, exactly. that's the heaviest it, it's traded in years. Yeah. Um, again, that is institutions getting in. This stock has done nothing but drift higher since then. So institutions are gobbling up. I think this is one that's going to be another winner out of this 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 pandemic. Uh, and one that I'm going to keep on my watch list uh, and probably own at some point. Perfect. And I do own shares of PayPal uh, too. So there are a few ideas that are worth adding to your watch list. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us today. Thanks, Rush. I had a great time. Hopefully we can do it again. Next week, we are going to have Kathy Donnelly on the show. Kathy is a prop trader and author and also like Ryan, a longtime customer of IBD and MarketSmith. We know Kathy very well over the years, and she is another excellent example of being a student of the market and seeing success over time. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.